This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, November 11th, 2022. It is Veterans Day, and this is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. We're going to begin this edition of our show with Michael Tilley, who's on the phone from his office in Fort Smith. He's with Talk Business and Politics. Good Friday, Michael. Good Friday. Uh, you you survived election day, I take it. Yeah, just, just barely. It was a it was a long night. I think I got in bed about a little, little after two in the morning. Mm. So, and then was back up at seven to do updates when more numbers came in. But look, I'm you know being a journalist and a political junkie. That's uh, it's kind of my Super Bowl, so I'm all for it. Well, uh, also being a journalist means that you sometimes see things develop. Maybe coincidentally, after you've done some investigation into them, maybe not. But just last week, we were talking about uh, teacher pay in Fort Smith. You had sent in some FOI, a Freedom of Information request, to find out more about it. We didn't know much last week. We do this week. Yeah, and we'll be very generous uh, to the school district and say it was just highly coincidental that after we went digging to ask, because teachers are wanting to know, well, maybe I should back up a little bit. Um, the school board had approved uh, essentially a bonus increase, a bonus, they call it a retention non-recurring payment. So it, it was going to be paid to some veteran school district employees to kind of make up for a broad raise that uh, a lot of folks got, or the entry-level teachers got, received uh, earlier uh, in the year. But so the school board approved this, but it, it was going to be using the federal the ESSER funds, which the elementary and secondary school emergency relief fund. Um, and so the state department of education had to approve that they did. And then it just, all that w- was approved and it just hung out there. Nobody, when was it going to be paid? Um, and so looking through social media and we had a few folks email us wanting to know, Hey, have you contacted the school district soon? They're going to pay this. Because fifteen hundred dollars is no—that's that's a good chunk of money to some folks. Um, so we sent an FOI request and just to ask them about any correspondence related to the timing of the payment. And they <laughs> returned the response by saying there there is no correspondence, which I think we talked about last week, which is hard to believe that you have a high-profile issue that's important to a lot of teachers. Yet among administration, there had been no there had been no correspondence, no, nothing written. Um, and so then, sure enough, just a couple of days later, mm-hmm. uh, word got out that they had set a date for it. And so uh, we got the notice. Uh, now they didn't send out a press release. The school district didn't send out a press release. We saw it on social media and had to go ask and get them to confirm. But they said yes. Um, again, it's just amazing how you would think that the school district would want, would want to get the word out. They'd want to, you know, be able to say, Hey, look, man, we're looking out for you guys. Here's the new, here's when we're going to pay this, but it's going to hit December 15th in time for Christmas. Um, what was interesting is before when we were FOIing this, what we had heard through kind of the personnel committee, which is kind of what the union, the person teachers union used to be. It's teachers that kind of are liaisons with the administration. They had been told 
it would be next semester before spring break. And then somehow that got changed to December 15th after we and some other teachers started digging. So, look, I'm glad they're getting their pay. Um, it'll be a considerable number of teachers in the school district getting this. Um, but just it would be nice if the school district would be a little bit more open and didn't feel like they had to play hide the ball. Really, it's a public entity and it's public funds, and uh, it just makes no sense to be coy uh, with this information. But December 15th, a lot of folks are going to get a good check, and I'm, I'm glad for that. It's uh, one of those situations that almost is well, all is well, that ends well. I hope. It would just be nice if... Um, Right. There's, there's a little bit more transparency in the process. More people are getting on planes uh, in Fort Smith. This is good news. And in fact, September employments, people who got on planes uh, to take a trip, up more than 80 percent compared with the previous September. Yeah, that that's a really good sign. And, and um, you know, we're seeing this nationwide, you know, the services sector, travel, industry where people are want to spend more of their money on uh, experiences, which includes travel, obviously, rather than goods. Um, so you're seeing a lot of this. You're also seeing, you know, the business community return to travel. Um, instead of having so many Zoom meetings, they still are doing that, but they're doing more travel. Uh, and that's according to anecdotal and even some published reports. But yes, Fort Smith Regional Airport uh, had uh, September appointments for a little over 5,500. That was up 80.3% compared to September last year. And through the first nine months of 2022, employments are up almost 39% uh, over last year. Now, it, there's still going to be uh, quite a ways to get back um to, to where they were, you know, they were on a pace, they were on a full year pace that ended in the pandemic year, you know, so in mm-hmm. 2019, a little over 95,000 employments. Um, and then that just, as we all know, came to a grinding halt in 2020 when they had just under 39,000 employments, but it's slowly building. Uh, that airport is an asset of the Fort regional economy. I know the employments aren't near as much as the XNA, Northwest Arkansas, but it's still um, still a valuable asset. I know that our family uses it when it's convenient. We don't, you know, if the flights work out, uh, it saves us from having to drive either to Tulsa or Little Rock or Northwest Arkansas. It's literally 20 minutes away from our home, easy to get in and out of. So it's a good asset. It's good to see those numbers coming back. And always read to the very end of a Talk Business and Politics article because I was <laughs> shocked to find out the most employments in one year in Fort Smith was 1975. That just seems counterintuitive to me that it would have been that long yeah. ago. Yeah, and you'll, I'm going to probably screw this up so any student of American aviation, commercial <laughs> aviation history will probably be banging on the radio, but... The law, the law was different at the time. I think there, there were some federal subsidies. Mm. The whole, the whole way people traveled in and could afford tickets and that type of thing was different. I believe in 1975. If you ask me any questions beyond that, I will okay. be uh, giving you ignorant answers. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of the 1970s, uh, it was in the mid 1970s when 
or actually, I think in the early 1970s when Ream came to Fort Smith, still there and adding some jobs uh, announced this week. Yeah, and this is a, another good thing. Good manufacturing jobs, as everybody knows, fortunately, the manufacturing sector has really taken a hit in the last couple of decades. It re-announced a $20 million expansion, had around 100 jobs. Um, so uh, it, it's part of their, they say it's part of a 10-year strategy to grow uh, their business um, in the Fort Smith plant. I, I think I knew this, but it was good to be reminded that the Fort Smith plant is still Reams headquarters for its U.S. air conditioning business. Hmm. So, um, so they're investing in that. The, the plant employs around 900 uh, in the Fort Smith area. Um, so that'll that'll add to the that job base. And for a little perspective on that job base, uh, Fort Smith manufacturing metro manufacturing jobs were estimated at uh, 18,300 in September. That was up from 17,400 in, in September of 2021. However, and this gives you an example of, of, of the hit that the sector has taken. Metro manufacturing jobs peaked at 31,200 uh, in June 1999. And they kind of slowly declined, but we all know in 2012, when Whirlpool pulled out and all its upstream, downstream suppliers pulled out, there was, there was a big hit. Um, the sector, but uh, in the past couple of years, it's slowly been higher, so it's good to see, and this is another good addition to that, uh, what is a, uh, a good paying sector also, for the most part. All right, you can read about these stories and many, many others, and look back at what happened on Election Day by going to talkbusiness.net. Michael, thank you so much. Hey, you're welcome, sir. Walton Arts Center presents Gaelic Storm, Thursday, November 15th at 7 p.m. Gaelic Storm is a multi-genre Irish rock group that blends sounds from country, bluegrass, and rock and roll with traditional Celtic reels and rollicking pub songs. Tickets available at waltonartscenter.org. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, offering engaged learning by linking classrooms to the world and developing career skills throughout its curriculum. Hendricks graduates pursue medical, law, and other advanced degrees, preparing students to lead lives of accomplishment. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. The 5th Annual Invest Fort Smith Summit will take place Wednesday, November 16th at the University of Arkansas Fort Smith Center for Economic Development located in the Bakery District. Last week, I spoke with three of the leaders for the summit. Talisha Richardson, the Executive Director of 646 Downtown, Kendall Ross, the Executive Director for the Center of Economic Development, and Bill Sabo, the Regional Director for the Arkansas Small Business and Technology Development Center. Talisha says she's excited about this year's event because it's more Fort Smith-centric than ever before. We have a lot of great opportunities coming to our community that we need to be prepared for. And as a result, people should be able to um, take advantage of resources that are in our area or those resources that are coming to our area that are willing to help um, make Fort Smith a true economic driver with diverse offerings in our city. So we have businesses that have proven products in the market in Fort Smith participating, um, procurement um, departments. We have a DEI panel discussion, which is going to be a very intimate conversation with a couple of individuals, as well as 
how do we prepare for the influx of families and businesses to come to the Fort Smith market over the next 18 to 24 months? So we're pretty excited. Yeah. Kendall, what about you? Yeah. So from our standpoint, the Center for Economic Development is really the destination for workforce training, for personal training, for planning, for advising. We have three distinct offices that help people with uh, professional support, the experience that they may need to start a business, uh, to expand into new markets, to accelerate their career, really. And so we like to think in terms of uh, our goal or our focus is the success of uh, small businesses and businesses that want to grow. And lastly, Bill, what can people expect from Invest Fort Smith from your vantage point? Really, for us, it's a, a lot of outreach. You know, chances of someone probably being able to start a business after an hour seminar uh, isn't too high, but it gives us an opportunity to connect with them, to answer some of the basic questions, and then to work with them one-on-one and meet them, whether they want to expand or start a business or pretty much anything else. Who is the target audience to attend this summit? So I think we're thinking in terms of people who are interested in starting a business, students who may be interested in entrepreneurship, uh, perhaps even someone who has already owned a business, but their goal now is to expand that business and look for new opportunities. One of the topics for this event will be on contracting with governments and schools. Can you talk more about how this could benefit Fort Smith business owners? If, if I can start this one and pass the baton with, to Bill. So with the contracting with schools and municipalities, um, I spoke with Bill uh, regarding those particular courses and, and, and opportunities that he provided to the community where he felt like he wished there were more people in the room. And this particular topic was the first one that came to mind for him. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is huge. Because we have the military mission coming into Fort Smith, we felt like this was something that we needed to bring out to the community again. Well, it started with Teresa Riley wanting to uh, expand out the uh, vendor list, make sure that we were including people of color, women, veterans, and we thought about putting together a program where we had the UAFS procurement people. And then we said, why not add the state, the city government, the 188 federal procurement program. So really all of them want to do business local. And I think a lot of local people say, oh, it's got, you got to have a giant business. Oh, you have to, you know, and that's just not the case. I mean, they buy, the federal government buys everything from daycare services to ballpoint pens and you name it. And city governments buy a lot of things, too, and they want to do local. The problem is the, the registration can be mystifying. Well, how do I do that? It's really not hard. It just, you just need a guide to take you through it. You get on the vendor list, and then when things pop up that, that your company, that's appropriate for your company, you get notified. Another topic is around the economic benefit of inclusion. Uh, can you talk more about why this subject is a priority for this summit? The majority of the people in our community want to provide services because when we sit back and look at it, you're in business to sell a product or service. And diversity is green. 
we want to cater to as many people as possible to get those dollars in the door and to keep them in the door. Right now in the United States and in Arkansas and in Fort Smith, we have an opportunity to make sure that we try to include as many people in our goods and services as possible if we choose to. Because we're going to have a very diverse demographic that already exists in Fort Smith but is coming to the Fort Smith area, we felt that it was important to prepare our community, entrepreneurs, businesses as well, for this transition to not only better serve our community at large in its present state, but to be a welcoming community. So this discussion is going to be around how do we move beyond checking the box of diversity or DEI, if you will, but putting those, those, those processes, those steps into practical practice to grow your business, to sustain your business, or to even open a business for, for some. One of the things that really stood out to me hearing, uh, hearing you talk was the idea of keeping Fort Smith money in Fort Smith. And I feel like that's kind of something that we don't talk enough about when we're thinking about local economic development. The idea that, you know, the money that, that folks make and then they reinvest, whether it's through groceries, whether it's through goods, whether it's through services, stay within that local economy. Kendall, can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of why that may be one of the underlying priorities with a summit like this? Yeah, absolutely. I think the Center for Economic Development exists for one of those purposes, and that is to help local businesses continue to thrive. Uh, one of the centers that's part of the Center for Economic Development is our Family Enterprise Center, which is designed to serve a need that's you know really expressed by the members of our area business community. Uh, we help family businesses uh, have that learning community to meet the unique needs of businesses that are in the family. And that's really important, I think. Uh, we, we have quarterly breakfast groups. We have semi-annual workshops. We have monthly peer group meetings that are available that help these businesses establish and maintain their businesses here in the Fort Smith area. And I think it's, in, it's very important that we continue to do that. This is our fifth year at hosting Invest Fort Smith. And we pay every year, I pay kudos to the city of Springdale because they started Invest Springdale and I looked at that model and said, we need to bring that to Fort Smith. It was a gathering of people that shared like interest and found partners to move forward with various ventures that they had. This is something that we have continued to have. We want to highlight the businesses that are doing it locally, and we will be offering uh, 50 free um, swag bags to the first 50 registrants. And we encourage people to go to our Facebook page at 646 Downtown. Also visit the social media pages of our partners, University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, Economic Development Center, as well as the Arkansas Small Business and Technology Development Center for details on how to register. And we hope people come out. We hope people come from beyond the River Valley to participate in this and be a part of the exchange. Talisha Richardson, Kendall Ross, and Bill Sabo joined me last week over the phone. This is Ozarks at Large.
Last night, Mullins Library on the University of Arkansas campus hosted an opening reception for the traveling exhibition, Americans and the Holocaust. It's on loan from the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. Kara Flynn, research and educational services archivist at University Libraries, says the exhibition addresses four main questions. What did Americans know? Did Americans help Jewish refugees? Why did Americans go to war? And how did Americans respond to the Holocaust? We hope that the exhibition and our reception tonight provokes new questions and opportunities to reflect upon these questions. Americans in the Holocaust examines several angles. How American immigration policy determined how many people could escape the horror taking place in Germany. How journalists covered the emerging news of the murder of millions of Jewish Europeans. How the America First movement worked against any involvement by the U.S. in the war. And how the United States forced Japanese Americans into camps and confiscated their property and freedom. Jason Battles, the dean of libraries at the U of A, says the stop at Mullins Library is just one of 50 such engagements for the exhibition in the country. He says this has been in the works for a long time. The proposal for this exhibit was originally uh, submitted in 2019. As you know, a few things happened between then and now, uh, and it was delayed due to the COVID pandemic. Americans in the Holocaust will be on exhibit through December 8th. Last night's featured speaker, Lawrence Hare, associate professor of history and director of the International and Global Studies Program at the University of Arkansas, discussed how history can be ignored, re-examined, and investigated, and how history, when confronted honestly, can offer insights to the present. There is, of course, a unique urgency to this moment as we find ourselves addressing the legacy of the Holocaust just as it reaches the outer boundaries of living memory. Such is a moment in which we decide whether our own memory culture will prove fleeting or will persevere. As you participate in the events related to this exhibition, I invite you to reflect on how our shared encounter may help our own culture of memory grow in maturity and wisdom. I suspect it will succeed in doing so, in part because it will provide a nuanced recollection of our nation's wartime experience. In asking, what did Americans know? It will teach us and convey the most recent discoveries. But in asking, what more could have been done? It will call on us to participate in interpreting the past. It will help us relate the past to the present. Since such a question, what more could have been done, inevitably beckons us forward to ask what more could be done today. For it should not escape our notice that the possibilities, the perils, and the moral responsibility of the wartime years have a dreadful refrain familiar to us in our own day. There are several other events associated with the four-week stay of the exhibition, including Prelude to War, a film screening and discussion Wednesday night at the Pryor Center on the Fayetteville Square. Frank Scheid will host a screening and lead a discussion of the film Prelude to War, the first in the Why We Fight film series produced by the U.S. government during World War II. More information about the exhibit, free guided tours of the exhibit, and other events associated with it can be found at libraries.uark.com. Still to come on our show, what an actor must consider when playing more than one or more than two roles in a play. I think you have the responsibility when you're doing multi-character work to be a little bit more of a director in the sense of 
storytelling. That's the biggest thing that is that we have to focus on in multi-character shows because an audience can get lost really quickly. A conversation about the next Theater Squared production with stones in his pockets, two actors and multiple roles. That's in about 20 minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. On the next episode of Resilient Black Women, Joy and Denisha continue to answer questions about being in therapy. This time, what you might encounter at therapy and the notion of befriending your emotions. There are no bad emotions. Emotions are our friends. Um, it's our, they're our guide in our bodies, right? There are no bad emotions. And I just, I really can't express that enough. Listen to Resilient Black Women right now for free at KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. A lot of news happened this week. Let's spend a few moments catching up. Election Day was Tuesday, and Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth spent some time catching up with voters at their polling places. My name's Gabe Peters. I'm from Springdale, currently live in Fayetteville. I'm Hayden Peters. I'm Gabe's little brother. I live in Springdale. I came out today because I felt like my opinion matters. I feel like if I didn't say anything, then I wouldn't be allowed to like complain or have any opinion over what happens in the government. I just feel it's my civil duty. This isn't my first time voting. Um, I feel it's very important that people come out and let their voices be heard. Um, like Hayden said, you know, you can't really complain if you don't get out there and vote. So make your voice heard and make sure you're counted. Yeah, and was this your first time voting? It was my first time All voting. All right, how'd it go? How'd you feel about it? Uh, it felt a little easier than I expected it to be. Honestly, I was a little overwhelmed going into it, but once you, like, get behind the screen, it, it's easy. It's all simplified pretty well. And then for you, like, is this, do you often vote in midterms, or do you, like, I, turn I, out for every... I try and vote as often as I can for, for every matter that really matters in my opinion then yeah i try to get out there and vote as much as possible yeah and did you guys feel like prepared for the midterms did you feel like you kind of knew what was on the ballot and what you were going to vote for i felt more prepared for the issues than previous years as far as the options we had to vote for i feel like i knew about as much as any other year Sure. Uh, my name is Lillian, and I came out to vote because I felt like there were certain matters that my vote, you know, could possibly make a change, and I wanted to do my part. Um, our daughter would have been 18 years old and would have been able to vote, but unfortunately she passed away last year, and so some of the issues that I felt were important to her were my responsibility as the parent to vote on her behalf as well. We just heard from Lillian Botts, as well as Gabe Peters and Hayden Peters, just a few of the stories of why voting matters. Four potential amendments to the Arkansas Constitution were on the ballot this November, and all four failed. Issue 1 would have allowed the state legislature to call itself into special session, and it failed by a 21-point margin. Issue 2 would have raised the threshold for future ballot measures to pass to a 60% margin instead of the current 50% margin. The votes failed 59 to 41. 
Issue three was to create a religious freedom amendment for the state constitution. This one failed by just under 8,000 votes across the state. And finally, issue four, the citizen-initiated measure to legalize recreational marijuana in the state failed 56 to 44. Governor-elect Sarah Huckabee Sanders is naming Kevin Crass to lead her transition team. He is a senior partner in the litigation practice group at Eldridge and Clark LLP in Little Rock, a website dedicated to news about the transition, govelect.arkansas.gov, also launched yesterday. The 2022 election isn't over yet in Alma. There will be a runoff for mayor after none of the five candidates seeking the office received enough votes to win on Tuesday. Now remember, 50% plus one is what people need to win for an election here in Arkansas. Jimmy Fincher received 34% of the vote and will be in the December 6th runoff. However, his opponent isn't yet known. Just one vote, one vote separates the second and third place finishers, Edward Wakefield and Gary Perry. Provisional ballots will need to be assessed to determine who will advance to the runoff. There is a recount set for next week to determine the final tally in the race for Highful Mayor. Voters in the Benton County community delivered 290 votes for Chris Holland and 288 for Jeremy Rogers. Overseas ballots and provisional ballots could alter the final count before the race's final certification one week from today. I'm noticing a theme here, Kyle. Yeah. Voters in Craighead County and the city of Jonesboro approved a ballot measure that will cut the funding of the library system in half. The measure will take two mills of funding and reduce it to one mill. Iris Stevens, with Citizens Taxed Enough, is pleased with the decision. This is what the democratic process through a democratic vote is all about. And, you know, we put out, I thought, excellent information and then let people make the decision. I can't say I'm feeling good. I feel... Uh, if nothing else, a little bit vindicated that the you know the information that we put out, I think got out to people, and that's what we were wanting to happen. Executive Director of the Craighead County Jonesboro Public Library, Vanessa Adams, believes a year-long controversial issue about certain books in the library is what led to the decision. I really think that there was just so much negative publicity, and I think it was just easier to believe it than to try to understand the ballot measure. I really do. I just think that people didn't want to try to figure it out. They just believed what they heard, and it was a lot of very negative campaigning. Adam says she will meet with the library board to see what will happen next. There have been projections of locations closing and services being slashed. Citizens Taxed Enough states the library can still be fully funded and surplus revenues can be given back to the citizens. The University of Arkansas Board of Trustees will meet a week from today in Fayetteville for a public vote to select the next chancellor of the University of Arkansas. That meeting will also be streamed live via Zoom. Governor Asa Hutchinson's last budget before he leaves office includes $550 million in new education funding, more than $13 million directed towards new spending for foster care needs, and $40 million for the new state government employees pay plan. The budget also includes a $255 million surplus for fiscal year 2024 and a $300 million surplus for fiscal year 25. The board of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement is strongly urging Arkansans to get vaccinated for flu before Thanksgiving. In a statement calling the flu season in Arkansas early and aggressive, the ACI board warned not getting vaccinated before the holiday could exacerbate an already accelerated flu season. The U.S. Marshals Museum in Fort Smith is taking another step toward being completely open. 
the museum's gift store, The Outpost, is now open to the public. A press release this week indicates the new store will be open Monday through Friday from 10.30 to 1.30 and by appointment. And the John Brown University women's soccer team, again bringing the Sooner Athletic Conference Championship trophy back to Salem Springs. JBU won its third consecutive title last night, defeating top seed science and arts 2-0 in Chickasha, Oklahoma. JBU will find out its opponent for the first round of the NAIA National Championship Tournament Monday morning. November is Native American Heritage Month. The Museum of Native American History invites you to celebrate the lives and artistry of the first people of all of the Americas. Located in Bentonville, open Monday through Saturday from 9 to 5. More information at monah.org. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, December 10th, with two performances of its annual Christmas concert at Walton Arts Center. Performing a mix of holiday favorites under the baton of maestro Paul Haas, musicians will also be joined on stage by the Sona Singers and other guests. Tickets at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. Theater Squared is opening its next production, the play With Stones in His Pockets. It's about a small Irish village affected by a Hollywood film crew shooting a movie in the village. Many of the townspeople in the village are working as extras on the film. And an incident referred to in the title shapes the tone of the town and the play. There are 15 characters and just two actors. We asked James Odom, the assistant director of the play, and Robert Ford, T2's artistic director, to give us a preview of the play. It's on stage through December 18th. Robert Ford says the two actors in the production work through the play seamlessly, just as the playwright imagined. You know, I was looking at the uh, script last night um, just to check on something. I hadn't looked at it in a while. And the way the playwright writes it, it there is no acknowledgement that there's just two actors. So there'll be dialogue going along. And then, oh, now there's a new character, the very next line. doesn't even say which actor is playing that character, although it's, that's laid out earlier. So there, there is this quicksilver change that happens like uh, within a line and picked up immediately. So the, I think the virtuosity that we're talking about is the ability to drop in immediately to an entirely different character with their needs, their, you know, how they talk, their backgrounds, um, their gender, you know, just drop in instantly and then go right back to another character. And the, the thing that I find virtuosic, um, the, the stuff on the surface is, is amazing, you know, the accents and everything. But what to me is amazing is to be able to pick back up on a emotional journey that, that uh, the other character's going on. So like, here I am maybe, um, you know, wildly ecstatic about something, jumping over to somebody who is perturbed about something, going right back in to pick up that wildly ecstatic and... Uh, have that be real because that's so important. Um, th that's I, I think. It's, so again, yeah, I think there's a there's a surface level sort of um, virtuosity, and then there is a deeper virtuosity, which is which is actually providing the audience with the sort of emotional journey of all these characters. What's the key to getting an accent correct and then keeping it the same <laughs> throughout a production? Absolutely, I think you could. Say, if you want to be consistent, you follow the phonetic alphabet. You, you do the work in terms of what are the changes in vowels 
that the different dialects will do, and you 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 score your mm-hmm. script in terms of over every word what those changes are in this dialect. That's going to be the most consistent thing, as opposed to I'm just listening to the sound and I'll try to imitate that. You may have a great ability to do that, but the most consistent is to do the work, you know, going through the whole script and knowing how these words are said in particular dialects. I would be tempted to just do it all the time, whether I'm in rehearsal or whether I'm ordering lunch. I, I'm I'm not even in the show, Kyle, and <laughs> I am talking to friends uh, every day uh, with a bit of that, you know, in your in your daily daily dialect. This is your international daily dialect lesson, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, uh, I I I it's it's so helpful to just do it all the time, and uh, and that's really key. I think. You know, and we are talking to Kyle. We're in the presence of a master of dialects <clears throat> and this whole thing of changing characters, a master character mm-hmm. changer um, in, in James Taylor Odom, who, oh. who <clears throat> for us was in, uh, played all the suspects in Murder for Two, but then also uh, on the, uh, in the national tour of uh, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Um, played what, what's the name of that character? Asquith? The Dicequith family. The Dice, yeah. the entire Dicequith <laughs> family. Asquith is the first name of one of the characters. Asquith <laughs> <Okay>. Dicequith. <laughs> so, if you are preparing for a production where you're going to be one, three, five characters, is that different mechanically for an actor than if you're just just going to be one character on stage? The a- the 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 uh, <laughs> um, the actor in me says there shouldn't be anything different in okay. terms of you do all the work for all the same for for every character, um, and that should be from the outset how you approach that. But in reality, we all know that things are a little different, um, and uh, you know it's there are so many other things that come into play that you maybe don't need to. Th- don't have to think about when you're just doing one character. Um, when you really want to make sure that they're all distinct and 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 separate, I think you have the responsibility when you're doing multi-character work to be a little bit more of a director in the sense of storytelling. That's the biggest thing that is that we have to focus on in multi-character shows because an audience can get lost really quickly. And so I think as an actor, you really have to not only be uh, uh, cognizant of what your traditional approach to a role would be in terms of needs and um, um, background and, and whatever you would do to get into that role, but also how these will all be different and how that can uh, be clear for an audience. You know, I uh, and, and and honestly, watching these two actors, and I again, I've done so much multi-character work. Um, I am wanting to be up there on the stage with really? them, with them, because <laughs> the work that they're doing is um, what's great about it. Is I've seen a lot of plays that are, are funny, multi-character, and it's broad. It's you know a little over the top. That's been something I've been a part of many, many times. What's great about this is we get really, really grounded characters that are also so incredibly funny. Um, And I think that's just so amazing is that we can get all those things. We have our cake and eat it too. 
with Stones in His Pockets, directed by Amy Hertzberg, is on stage at Theater Squared through December 18th. Kyle talked with James Odom, the assistant director, and Robert Ford, T2's artistic director, earlier this week. This is KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. It's been another busy week for nonprofits and community groups, and the Community Spotlight has informed you on many of those. We spoke with Judy Costello. She's education manager at Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale. Their Native American Day School program is next week, featuring presentations by archaeologists and members of Native American tribal nations. This is our third year. It, we started planning prior to the pandemic. It was supposed to be in-person, just a time that students could come and go around to different stations and learn about the Native Americans of the Ozarks. The pandemic threw us into a virtual tying period, and so we jumped into virtual, and that allowed us to make it a statewide program. We target the fifth grade curriculum ties, but anybody can join in. I've learned things every year that I've listened. I continue to learn things because we have the archaeologists speaking to us and members of tribal nations. For more on Native American Days at Shiloh Museum, shilohmuseum.org. Of course, Tuesday was voting day. Gave us a chance to meet with the League of Women Voters of Washington County, talking about tomorrow's Dash for Democracy. Here's board member and race director Debbie Winters. Well, we're, we're hoping to get a lot of people out. This is the second year that we've done it. First of all, we do finishers prizes. So everybody who registers gets a t-shirt. Um, and then if you finish the race, we'll have a uh, finishers prize for those people. And then winners for the top people who come in. It'll be uh, out and back at Veterans Park, starting there and running toward the botanical gardens. Uh, we have a one mile and we have a, a 5K, 3.1 miles. Um, it's run, walk, it's for fun. We allowed well-behaved dogs on leashes <laughs> or strollers, especially if you're doing the walk. Debbie Winters with the League of Women Voters of Washington County. Door prizes will take place after the race. Packet pickup begins at 8 a.m. and the race begins tomorrow at 9. For more, lwvarwc.org. The deadline to sign up to host an international student or scholar for the day of Thanksgiving is quickly approaching that Sunday at midnight. We heard from Clark Eccles, iFriend coordinator with the University of Arkansas. You know, a lot of our international students and scholars during the Thanksgiving holidays, they, they really don't have anywhere to go. You know, they just be at home without classes or, you know, without stores being open and stuff. And so it could be a time that could be really lonely. So we want to offer them an opportunity to, you know, experience a meal in an American home, but also, you know, especially for this special holiday. If you're hosting Thanksgiving locally, you just invite them over, bring them along and, and welcome them into your home and celebrate with them. Most different cultures have different, you know, holidays of Thanksgiving and celebration and family and, and harvest and things like that. And so, so a lot of cultures can really have something to share during this holiday. Registration ends Sunday and on Monday, November 21st. A matching event will take place on campus. That's when hosts will meet up with their guests to plan the day. If interested, send an email to Clark Eccles. That's I, the letter I, I friend at uark.edu or the website ifriend.uark.edu. And finally, we heard from a quite original local business this week 
called Bisoxual. It's a sock company that offers packs of three, not two, three socks, and they don't match. But there's a really good reason, and it's all got to do with supporting the Northwest Arkansas Women's Shelter. Here's owners Jen Adair and Kevin Higgins. I never wear matching socks, and so Kevin is my business partner in another company, and he would always call me Bisoxual. I loved it, so I ran out and bought every domain that I could with Bisoxual in it. Uh, Jen and I started just uh, curating socks, finding socks that would be complement each other, uh, go together, but they would be mismatched. Uh, and Jen has a has a great reason for how that came about. Well, my best friend um, had passed away a few months before we started this, and this was a close uh, cause that was near and dear to her heart, and I wanted to honor her in some way. And um, so we were thinking about how we could do that with the sock idea. And what we came up with was the hardest thing to do when you're in an abusive situation is leave. So most of the time you just leave when you can. But if you have the strength to take anything with you and the time to take anything with you, you grab whatever's on the floor, which could be the mismatched socks, you know, at the foot of your bed. So we wanted to honor the strength that it takes to leave a domestic abuse situation. Kevin Higgins and Jen Adair of the local business Bisoxual. If you're in an abusive relationship and need help, 1-800-775-9011 or nwaws.org. That's the Northwest Arkansas Women's Shelter. It's the Community Spotlight on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. We'll have more voices and stories next week. Voices from your community. Your voice matters. You can send me an email. That's Pete at KUAF.com. It is Friday. It is time to think about what new movie we might want to see. Courtney Lanning always helps us out. She's joining me via Zoom. Courtney, happy Friday. Kyle, happy Friday. All right. This week, it is an animated movie, and I mean old school animated, that's based on an old school children's novel. It's called My Father's Dragon. That's correct. And how old is this book? It's almost as old as you, Kyle. It came out in 1948. I want to congratulate you on the record time. That's the earliest uh, age reference you've made in one of our conversations ever. So congratulations. (laughs) I'm just trying to, to prime the conversation for those jokes all the time. Now, I have to admit, I have heard of this book, but I've never read it. Yeah, I'm guessing that, you know, since it did come out when you were a child, it (laughs) probably was pretty popular at the time. Uh, I have not read the book. Uh, I I can get a good sense of the book from this movie, though. It is definitely aimed at younger audiences. and, And that's not to say adults won't find something to enjoy within the film. But this is, you know, definitely more enjoyable for the little kids. I mentioned that it's old school animation. So this isn't the the sort of Toy Story animation. This is like... Seriously, what I did grow up with. Right. The the studio that did this animation is one of my favorites. They're called Cartoon Saloon. They're based over in Ireland, and they stick to traditional two-dimensional animation, you know? Uh, while a lot of the bigger studios today, like Disney and DreamWorks and Pixar, they, they're all, you know, they're set on 3D CG with these 3D models, and, and they create some beautiful art, don't get me wrong, but I will always prefer traditional 2D animation, which is what Cartoon Saloon has done here with this and, and all of their movies. They've they've kept the artwork cute and charmingly simple. The animals are all basic shapes, and they're drawn like they're straight out of a children's storybook, which, of course, they are. It sounds um, 
somewhat comforting, actually. It is. Um, this is a very low stakes movie. Mm. There's not a lot of high intense moments. Um, it's it's a cute, charming, simple, family friendly movie. Is there a dragon? There is. Uh, the story the story follows uh, a young boy and his mother who own a little store of their own. Everything seems to be going great. Uh, the economy craters. They lose their store and have to move to a big city. It's very much a Great Depression kind of feel. And, um, you know, things are not great in the city. The, the little boy eventually runs away from home. Uh, he meets a talking cat. And that's where you get the, the magical realism kicking in here. Mm-hmm. And the cat tells him about a dragon that's being held prisoner on an island called Wild Island. He's got to go save him. So that's, that's what the boy does. He hitches a ride with a, a talking whale and goes to the island to meet this dragon named Boris and set him free. Overall, an enjoyable film? Yeah, I, I would say overall, it is an enjoyable movie. Um, there are a few questionable choices. One of the biggest being, you know, the movie has a narrator that we never actually meet. Mm. And the narrator is the main character's daughter. She addresses the main character as my father throughout the entire story. But in the story, he's just a little boy. So, you know, it really makes for this confusing situation where the narrator is the daughter of this main character we have. The main character is a little boy. I guess the narrator will come into being in the future, but we never see her at any point in the movie. So it's it just creates kind of a confusing situation. Uh, and again, this is from Cartoon Saloon. They are in Ireland. Yes. And they've made uh, in 2020, they did one of my favorite movies ever. It's called Wolf Walkers. I would highly recommend it. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, you and I might have talked about that yeah, we did. right when we were getting started with these. Um, this movie does not quite hold up to the standards of that one, but it's still a nice little gem for their continued crown of animated success. Next week, you're, going, you're scheduled to review a movie that I think has a lot riding on it. Yes. Uh, lots of us grew up with A Christmas Story, which is, of course, one of the famed holiday classics. Everybody can quote lines from the movie from I Triple Dog Daria to Ho, Ho, Ho. Like, everybody knows this movie. And they replay it in a 24-7 marathon every year on TNT, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. Um, and they have a sequel coming out. It's called A Christmas Story Christmas. And I will be reviewing that for y'all next week. You know, it reminds me that last year you and I talked, did, it was a, re, a remake or a reboot of Home Alone came out about this time of year. Yeah, and that one also had a lot riding on it because Home Alone is basically my favorite Christmas movie ever. And this new one was was quite awful. That's next week. You can read the full review of My Father's Dragon in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. You can watch it today on Netflix. Courtney, talk to you next week. Kyle, I'll see you next week. Arkansas SHIP, the Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program, announces open enrollment now through December 7th. Arkansas SHIP offers free, confidential, unbiased, and educational advice for those needing to find the best Medicare Part D drug plan for 2023. For more, one 800 224 
888-888-6330. Walton Arts Center presents Gaelic Storm, Thursday, November 15th at 7 p.m. Gaelic Storm is a multi-genre Irish rock group that blends sounds from country, bluegrass, and rock and roll with traditional Celtic reels and rollicking pub songs. Tickets available at waltonartscenter.org. That's Delfield Marsalis in the background, and I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Delfio, as well as music from Oscar Peterson, Herb Ellis, Daryl Hall, the Yellow Jackets, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF every Friday and Saturday. Tune in tonight starting at 10 p.m. on KUAF 91.3, and if you miss it tonight, you can hear it tomorrow at 11 a.m. on KUAF 3. And don't forget, you can hear 24-7 classical music on KUAF2. You can listen to all three of those streams on the KUAF app or online at KUAF.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Siloam Springs. Contributors today included Michael Tilley, Pete Hartman, Courtney Lanning, and Daniel Carruth, who provided sound from voters casting ballots on Tuesday. Reporting on the Jonesboro Library came from our Northeast Arkansas friends at KASU. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. I will be back with you Sunday morning at 9 with the next edition of Weekend Ozarks at Large. Then Monday, we come back and we have a packed, packed week of brand new editions of Ozarks at Large every day for you at noon and 7 next week. Matthew, what if I miss an edition of Ozarks at Large? Well, you're in luck because you can find it on ozarksatlarge.com. You can download the podcast in your app of choice and search for Ozarks at Large. You can always ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large and hear the most recent edition of our program. Special thanks this week to Anna Pope for helping us out Tuesday night during election coverage at uh, uh, KUAF. That's right. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to KUAF on these uh, live coverage. It's something we love to do, and we're grateful to be able to do it. Thanks so much for your support in doing that as well. All right. Until Sunday morning at 9, I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk again very soon.